0: Welcome to yet another exciting episode of Behind the Scoreline. In this episode we'll be going through the game that happened between Man City and Arsenal. The game ended 3-1 in favour of Manchester City. This was a pivotal game in the title race and it sets Man City back at number 1 with 51 points while Arsenal also have 51 points. This means that Man City has a superior goal difference. Let's get right into the tactics. Pep Guardiola has been trying to do something very interesting as of 2022. This started in late 2022 when he introduced Rico Lewis into their starting lineup. So Pep is essentially setting up in a 3-2-4-1 formation. This is a highly attacking formation which features two number 10 players and to an extent 3 where Pep is concerned. I'll explain right back Pep Guardiola started with Kyle Walker and had Ruben Diaz as a centre-back along with Nathan Ake as a left-back left-centre-back then you had a double pivot of Bernardo Silva and Rodri with Real Mahrez and Jack Grealish occupying the wings and then he had two number tens behind Erling Haaland who were Kevin De Bruyne and Ilka Gundogan this is Man City in possession, 3 2 4 1. When Man City were out of possession, they employed a 4 2 3 1, which saw Bernardo Silva move from one of the double pivots in midfield to left back, while Ilka Gundogan moved from one of the number 10s into one of the positions in a double pivot. So this formed a 4 2 3 1 out of possession. Kevin De Bruyne now had to move more centrally in order to cover for the space that is vacated by Yokai Kundogan. These tactics are very interesting but they have few deficiencies. One, what Arsenal seek to do was to expose this 3-2 formation at the back and I'll explain how but first before we go there let's first see how Arsenal lined up. Arsenal lined up in a traditional 4-3-3. This comprised of William Saliba and Gabriel in the centre of the defence with Tomiyasu and Zinchenko as the left back and right back. In midfield, Thomas Partey was injured so he was replaced by Jorginho as the holding midfielder and you had Odegaard and Shaka in the advanced number 8 roles. Then obviously up front we had Nketi as the striker while Saka and Martinelli occupied the right wing and left wing respectively. Now that we have the formations out of the way, let's see how Arsenal adapted to Guardiola and Guardiola adapted to Arsenal as well. It's very important to say Arsenal didn't really do many tactical transformations during the game. They adapted to Man City, but then they didn't really change their shape much, the way Man City changed their shape various times. When in position, Arsenal could be seen in a a 2-3-2-3. This meant that Tomiyasu and Zinchenko linked up with Jorginho to form a three-man midfield per se, so they can all... All play with saka and Oedegaard that way Man City had a numerical superiority uh, Arsenal rather had a numerical superiority when on the ball so they could advance the ball in dangerous areas and provide numbers in the box when Saka and Martinelli wanted to cross or in the middle where if they wanted to penetrate through the middle it's worth noting that Arsenal are becoming rather predictable and lack flexibility in their tactics but when they are playing their brand of football I think they are more dominant even the positions that indicate that uh, Arsenal were the more dominant team particularly in the first half let's just put it in layman terms they know to do what they are doing and they do it at a very high level but these are games that require one to be flexible and tactically versatile at times it's worth noting as well that Arsenal depend a lot on Martinelli and Saka's individual brilliance in order for them to create chances and of course the big O Martin Odegaard his creativity and flair have been very pivotal to Arsenal achieving as much as they have achieved this season now let's get back to Man City and see how Man City in position and out of position got affected by Arsenal. It's worth noting that Bukayo Saka's hugging the touchline or him creating that uh, width forced Bernardo Silva to be uncomfortable in his CDM role, especially as one of the double pivots. Because when Bernardo Silva or Man City in general lost the ball, Saka, was often almost left alone with Ake or maybe with Ake being the closest defender and you know you don't want Saka getting a one-on-one with Ake so what that meant is when Mencitu were out of possession Bernardo Silva had to quickly backtrack and get in get inside that left left back spot and occupy it so he can keep uh, Saka in check but then even with that Saka could easily beat Bernardo Silva because you know you can not match Saka with Bernardo Silva especially in a wing you know Bernardo doesn't have much experience in that so Saka was winning most of the ground duels and obviously achieving so many successful dribbles and getting crosses inside the main city box this led to Bernardo Silva even getting a yellow cut at one point and others others believe myself included that he should have gotten more than one yellow cut, you know. So he was having a lot of problems with uh, handling soccer. But Pep Guardiola planned for this or he adapted to the game because Man City, as much as they couldn't get into the game in the first half, they managed to score a goal via a Tomiyasu mistake and credit to Jack Relish for applying so much pressure to Tomiyasu. But then We have to understand that in such critical games mistakes often decide the winner but second half is where we saw pep guardiola beginning to show why he is the best coach in the world second half he made a very strange substitution to to me because it seemed like he was defending but he wasn't defending he was actually attacking but he was attacking with a defense defensive substitution This is how Pep Guardiola adapted, remember what I was telling you about Saka eating Bernardo Silva alive as Bernardo Silva was trying to figure out how to play the left back position? Man City made a substitution where they took out Riyad Mahrez and they put in Manuel Akanji, a center back for, for a winger. It didn't make sense to me but then soon we started realizing Pep Guardiola is going back to classic Pep Guardiola. With Manuel Akanji coming into the, to the game, he slotted in the centre-back role alongside Ruben Diaz, who was fantastic, by the way. And Nathan Ague moved from centre-back to left-back, which he's been playing quite regularly this season. And then you might ask yourself, OK, where does this leave Bernardo? Bernardo now went and occupied that right-wing spot that Riyad Mahrez had. Because it fits them perfectly, since Riyad Mahrez is left-footed and Bernardo Silva is right-footed. But the key thing is, you might ask yourself, why didn't he take Bernardo Bernardo out, but took Riyad Mahrez out? The key thing is, Pep didn't really want wingers or more wingers. He wanted more midfielders in order for him to have more possession and positional fluidity. You can't put Riyad Mahrez in in midfield or if you can I mean realistically you can but he's not going to give you what he gives you on the wing but with Bernardo he's positionally fluid and versatile he can switch places with Kevin or with Ilkay Gundogan even with Rotri as well you know but we know Rotri is not gonna move but if you wanted to try that like a mad scientist that Pep Guardiola is you can probably do try and this proved to be brilliant because now you have a 4-2-4 with Kevin De Bruyne playing as a false 9. Apply more pressure to uh, the backline of of Arsenal when Man City are out of possession. And now Ilka Kundogan can step back from that advanced number 10 role and just stay exclusively next to Rodri in that double pivot to provide shape and structure. Now you have... A four-two-four, where the front four comprises of Bernardo and Jack Grealish on the wings, and then you have Kevin De Bruyne floating in and around Erling Haaland. So you can even call it a four-two-three-one, and that proved to be very fruitful because you look at the goals that Man City scored, particularly the third goal. You see Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne causing so much pressure on Gabriel that Gabriel loses the ball or gives away the ball cheaply. And from there, you see Erling Haaland um, kind of dragging Saliba and... and, and, and Who's this other guy? Saliba and Gabriel across the field. And obviously, that Ilkay Gundogan also dragged Tomiyasu. And then that created space for Jack Grealish to score the the second goal which obviously gave City the lead in the final goal it's merely an error it's merely an error from from Zinchenko but it wouldn't be an error that you might say is catastrophic yes it is, is catastrophic because it led to a goal but it's not an error that you can clearly see so the, the goal starts with Zinchenko not picking up Kevin De Bruyne and you might, I mean, you can't blame him because it, it's a high position. It's a high stakes game where number one in the league is playing number two. But when you look at the position in first glance, you might not see what's wrong with uh, Zingchenko's positioning. Because he wasn't tight on Kevin De Bruyne, And Kevin De Bruyne, being the best midfielder in the world, did what he was supposed to do. When the ball came from him, from Ilkay Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne didn't want to receive the ball while standing. He actually took a run in space even before the ball came. So it was by the time Zinchenko realized what's going on, like where Kevin De Bruyne is and how advanced he is and how he was actually anticipating a pass, it was already too late for Zinchenko to react. And this is something that has plagued Zinchenko much of his uh, Man city career where defensively he hasn't been as aware as he's supposed to be and yeah he's I, don't, I, I think in layman terms you can just say he likes defensive um, acumen in, in anticipating runs blocking runs and just being a smart defender but he's a smart player overall especially offensively these are the sort of problems you have with wing uh wing backs nowadays where they are so good in offense but defensively they still lack, uh, so much and but then i'm not blaming zinchenko per se for arsenal losing but for that particular goal he could have done better and it seems like when you when you view footage i guess you it seems like that was the only possible way to stop that goal from happening and yeah it was an easy I wouldn't say it for Haaland but it was an easy goal for him and yeah, he just took one touch, set it up and then the second touch, bang, was a goal. There really isn't much to discuss from this game outside of the positional and tactical fluidity of Pep Guardiola and how Arsenal probably need to do more um, in order for them to have superiority in the next game that they're going to play City and probably just show Guardiola something that he hasn't seen from Arsenal and yeah um, that pretty much sums up why City beat Arsenal it was a matter of mistakes it's, it's not because I don't think City are better than Arsenal but in the same breath I don't think Arsenal are better than CT but one thing I know for sure is Pep Guardiola is still better than Mikel Ateta. I think that's what this game showed us but Arsenal are very smooth on the ball they are so silky on the ball their touches are precise their linker plays are precise and man the resurgence of Granit Chaka is something I never thought I'd see I never thought I'd see Granit Chaka playing the eight role so elegantly I always took him as a hard guy that just you know long-range shooter a hard tackler you can't really get much out of him other than the qualities i've just mentioned but he is excelling in the eighth role i mean it's like shaka became ilka Gundogan in terms of the fitness the, the the elegance in play you know it's just beautiful to watch how ateta has transformed granite shaka absolutely beautiful i'm looking forward to the second fixture with thomas patty back in in the squad i think he will give them something that um, a certain level of physicality that georgino couldn't offer but georgino has a lot to offer for arsenal i didn't like him for chelsea but i think for arsenal he has a lot to offer because of just how smooth arsenal are as a team in in playing i think it suits georgino and how he plays and believe me as someone that loves intricate passing passing Giorgino and Martin Odegaard are a recipe for beautiful football. So we're looking forward to seeing that. I would have liked to see more, more positional fluidity from Arsenal. Even like things we don't expect, like switch Martinelli and Saka just for 10 minutes, see how that goes. You know, just uh, more inverted runs from Zinchenko and Tomiyasu. There there could be the there could have been more stuff to be done by ateta i guess um and i'm not saying this because they they lost i think given if they won out uh, generally i still want to see arsenal do more that's different but then again in order to build a long-term project that's sustainable you need to play one style of football and make sure you play it very very good you know so maybe next season they'll start showing us that and yeah um, things haven't been looking that great for Ateta in the last couple of games. They have one point in a, in the past three games, so eight points dropped after getting 50 points in 19 games. But I don't think it's time for us to panic yet. Uh, or, I mean, by us, I mean everyone that wants to see a title race. Um, yeah, I still see Arsenal winning their game in in the weekend against Aston Villa. I think that that should be relatively smooth um, yeah other than that I don't understand the omission of Ben White uh, I, I, sh- I could have done my research on whether he was injured or not but I think maybe it was tactical it was tactical in, in, in that Tomiyasu is a much better ball player offensively than, than Ben White maybe that, that was the reason why Ben White didn't play but yeah that's it for me on this episode of Behind the Scoreline, Man City, Arsenal. Definitely looking forward to, do, to doing a preview of the second fixture in the league between these two teams. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing or following the podcast on whichever platform you're listening from. And please tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to behind the score line or better yet, just send them the link to this episode. Thank you.